section sixteen of the three impostors by arthur Mackin. this librivox recording is in the public domain part one of novel of the white powder my name is lester my father major general win lester a distinguished officer of artillery succumbed five years ago to a complicated liver complaint acquired in the deadly climate of india a year later my only brother francis came home after an exceptionally brilliant career at the university and settled down with the resolution of a hermit to master what has been well called the great legend of the law he was a man who seemed to live in utter indifference to everything that is called pleasure and though he was handsomer than most men and could talk as merrily and wittily as if he were a mere vagabond he avoided society and shut himself up in a large room at the top of the house to make himself a lawyer ten hours a day of hard reading was at first his allotted portion from the first light in the east to the late afternoon he remained shut up with his books taking a hasty half-hour's lunch with me as if he grudged the wasting of the moments and going out for a short walk when it began to grow dusk i thought that such relentless application must be injurious and tried to cajole him from the crabbed textbooks but his ardour seemed to grow rather than diminish and his daily tale of hours increased i spoke to him seriously suggesting some occasional relaxation if it were but an idle afternoon with a harmless novel but he laughed and said that he read about feudal tenures when he felt in need of amusement and scoffed at the notion of theatres or a month's fresh air i confess that he looked well and seemed not to suffer from his labours but i knew that such unnatural toil would take revenge at last and i was not mistaken a look of anxiety began to lurk about his eyes and he seemed languid and at last he avowed that he was no longer in perfect health he was troubled he said with a sensation of dizziness and awoke now and then of nights from fearful dreams terrified and cold with icy sweats i am taking care of myself he said so you must not trouble i passed the whole of yesterday afternoon in idleness leaning back in that comfortable chair you gave me and scribbling nonsense on a sheet of paper no no i will not overdo my work i shall be well enough in a week or two depend upon it yet in spite of his assurances i could see that he grew no better but rather worse he would enter the drawing-room with a face all miserably wrinkled and despondent and endeavour to look gaily when my eyes fell on him and i thought such symptoms of evil omen and was frightened sometimes at the nervous irritation of his movements and at glances which i could not decipher much against his will i prevailed on him to have medical advice and with an ill grace he called on our old doctor dr haberden cheered me after examination of his patient there is nothing really amiss he said to me no doubt he reads too hard and eats hastily and then goes back again to his books in too great a hurry and the natural sequence is some digestive trouble and a little mischief in the nervous system but i think i do indeed miss lester that we shall be able to set this all right i have written him a prescription which ought to do great things so you have no cause for anxiety 
my brother insisted on having the prescription made by a chemist in the neighbourhood it was an odd old-fashioned shop devoid of the studied coquetry and calculated glitter that makes so gay a show on the counters and shelves of the modern apothecary but francis liked the old chemist and believed in the scrupulous purity of his drugs the medicine was sent in due course and i saw that my brother took it regularly after lunch and dinner it was an innocent-looking white powder of which a little was dissolved in a glass of cold water i stirred it in and it seemed to disappear leaving the water clear and colourless at first francis seemed to benefit greatly the weariness vanished from his face and he became more cheerful than he had ever been since the time when he left school he talked gaily of reforming himself and avowed to me that he had wasted his time i have given too many hours to law he said laughing i think you have saved me in the nick of time come i shall be lord chancellor yet but i must not forget life you and i will have a holiday together before long we will go to paris and enjoy ourselves and keep away from the bibliothèque nationale i confessed myself delighted with the prospect when shall we go i said i can start the day after to-morrow if you like ah that is perhaps a little too soon after all i do not know london yet and i suppose a man ought to give the pleasures of his own country the first choice but we will go off together in a week or two so try and furbish up your french i only know law french myself i am afraid that wouldn't do we were just finishing dinner and he quaffed off his medicine with a parade of carousal as if it had been wine from some choicest bin has it any particular taste i said no i should not know i was not drinking water and he got up from his chair and began to pace up and down the room as if he were undecided as to what to do next shall we have coffee in the drawing-room i said or would you like to smoke no i think i will take a turn it seems a pleasant evening look at the afterglow why it is as if a great city were burning in flames and down there beneath the dark houses it is raining blood fast yes i will go out i may be in soon but i shall take my key so good-night dear if i don't see you again the door slammed behind him and i saw him walk lightly down the street swinging his malacca cane and i felt grateful to dr haberden for such an improvement i believe my brother came home very late that night but he was in a merry mood the next morning i walked on without thinking where i was going he said enjoying the freshness of the air and livened by the crowds as i reached more frequented quarters and then i met an old college friend orford in the press of the pavement and then well we enjoyed ourselves i have felt what it is to be young and a man i find i have blood in my veins as other men have i made an appointment with orford for to-night there will be a little party of us at the restaurant yes i shall enjoy myself for a week or two and hear the chimes at midnight and then we will go for our little trip together such was the transmutation of my brother's character that in a few days he became a lover of pleasure 
a careless and merry idler of western pavements a hunter out of snug restaurants and a fine critic of fantastic dancing he grew fat before my eyes and said no more of paris for he had clearly found his paradise in london i rejoiced and yet wondered a little for there was i thought something in his gaiety that indefinitely displeased me though i could not have defined my feeling but by degrees there came a change he returned still in the cold hours of the morning but i heard no more about his pleasures and one morning as we sat at breakfast together i looked suddenly into his eyes and saw a stranger before me oh francis i cried oh francis francis what have you done and rending sobs cut the words short i went weeping out of the room for though i knew nothing yet i knew all and by some odd play of thought i remembered the evening when he first went abroad and the picture of the sunset sky glowed before me the clouds like a city in burning flames and the rain of blood yet i did battle with such thoughts resolving that perhaps after all no great harm had been done and in the evening at dinner i resolved to press him to fix a day for our holiday in paris we had talked easily enough and my brother had just taken his medicine which he continued all the while i was about to begin my topic when the words forming in my mind vanished and i wondered for a second what icy and intolerable weight oppressed my heart and suffocated me as with the unutterable horror of the coffin lid nailed down on the living we had dined without candles the room had slowly grown from twilight to gloom and the walls and corners were indistinct in the shadow but from where i sat i looked out into the street and as i thought of what i would say to francis the sky began to flush and shine as it had done on a well-remembered evening and in the gap between two dark masses that were houses an awful pageantry of flame appeared lurid whorls of writhed cloud and utter depths burning gray masses like the fume blown from a smoking city and an evil glory blazing far above shot with tongues of more ardent fire and below as if there were a deep pool of blood i looked down to where my brother sat facing me and the words were shaped on my lips when i saw his hand resting on the table between the thumb and forefinger of the closed hand there was a mark a small patch about the size of a sixpence and somewhat of the colour of a bad bruise yet by some sense i cannot define i knew that what i saw was no bruise at all oh if human flesh could burn with flame and if flame could be black as pitch such was that before me without thought or fashioning of words grey horror shaped within me at the sight and in an inner cell it was known to be a brand for the moment the stained sky became dark as midnight and when the light returned to me i was alone in the silent room and soon after i heard my brother go out late as it was i put on my hat and went to dr haberden and in his great consulting-room ill-lighted by a candle which the doctor brought in with him with stammering lips and a voice that would break in spite of my resolve i told him all from the day on which my brother began to take the medicine down to the dreadful thing i had seen scarcely half an hour before when i had done the doctor looked at me for a minute with an expression of great pity on his face my dear miss lester he said 
you have evidently been anxious about your brother you have been worrying over him i am sure come now is it not so i have certainly been anxious i said for the last week or two i have not felt at ease quite so you know of course what a queer thing the brain is i understand what you mean but i was not deceived i saw what i have told you with my own eyes yes yes of course but your eyes had been staring at that very curious sunset we had to-night that is the only explanation you will see it in the proper light to-morrow i am sure but remember i am always ready to give any help that is in my power do not scruple to come to me or to send for me if you are in any distress i went away but little comforted all confusion and terror and sorrow not knowing where to turn when my brother and i met the next day i looked quickly at him and noticed with a sickening at heart that the right hand the hand on which i had clearly seen the patch as of a black fire was wrapped up with a handkerchief what is the matter with your hand francis i said in a steady voice nothing of consequence i cut a finger last night and it bled rather awkwardly so i did it up roughly to the best of my ability i will do it neatly for you if you like no thank you dear this will answer very well suppose we have breakfast i am quite hungry we sat down and i watched him he scarcely ate or drank at all but tossed his meat to the dog when he thought my eyes were turned away there was a look in his eyes that i had never yet seen and the thought flashed across my mind that it was a look that was scarcely human i was firmly convinced that awful and incredible as was the thing i had seen the night before yet it was no illusion no glamour of bewildered sense and in the course of the evening i went again to the doctor's house he shook his head with an air puzzled and incredulous and seemed to reflect for a few minutes and you say he still keeps up the medicine but why as i understand all the symptoms he complained of have disappeared long ago why should he go on taking the stuff when he is quite well and by the by where did he get it made up at sacy's i never send anyone there the old man is getting careless suppose you come with me to the chemist's i should like to have some talk with him we walked together to the shop old sacy knew dr haberden and was quite ready to give any information you have been sending that in to mr lester for some weeks i think on my prescription said the doctor giving the old man a pencilled scrap of paper the chemist put on his great spectacles with trembling uncertainty and held up the paper with a shaking hand oh yes he said i have very little of it left and it is rather an uncommon drug and i have had it in stock for some time i must get some more if mr lester goes on with it kindly let me have a look at the stuff said haberdine and the chemist gave him a glass bottle he took out the stopper and smelt the contents and looked strangely at the old man where did you get this he said and what is it for one thing mr sacy it is not what i prescribed yes yes i see the label is right enough but i tell you this is not the drug i have had it a long time said the old man in feeble terror i got it from burbage's in the usual way it is not prescribed often and i have had it on the shelf for some years you see there is very little left you had better give it to me said haberden i am afraid something wrong has happened 
we went out of the shop in silence the doctor carrying the bottle neatly wrapped in paper under his arm dr haberden i said when we had walked a little way dr haberden yes he said looking at me gloomily enough i should like you to tell me what my brother has been taking twice a day for the last month or so frankly miss lester i don't know we will speak of this when we get to my house we walked on quickly without another word till we reached dr haberden's he asked me to sit down and began pacing up and down the room his face clouded over as i could see with no common fears well he said at length this is all very strange it is only natural that you should feel alarmed and i must confess that my mind is far from easy we will put aside if you please what you told me last night and this morning but the fact remains that for the last few weeks mr lester has been impregnating his system with a drug which is completely unknown to me i tell you it is not what i ordered and what the stuff in the bottle really is remains to be seen he undid the wrapper and cautiously tilted a few grains of the white powder on to a piece of paper and peered curiously at it yes he said it is like the sulphate of quinine as you say it is flaky but smell it he held the bottle to me and i bent over it it was a strange sickly smell vaporous and overpowering like some strong anaesthetic i shall have it analyzed said haberden i have a friend who has devoted his whole life to chemistry as a science then we shall have something to go upon no no say no more about that other matter i cannot listen to that and take my advice and think no more about it yourself that evening my brother did not go out as usual after dinner i have had my fling he said with a queer laugh and i must go back to my old ways a little law will be quite a relaxation after so sharp a dose of pleasure and he grinned to himself and soon after went up to his room his hand was still all bandaged End of part one of novel of the white powder